Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D and the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout a product's life cycle. Here, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Beyond 3D. My name is Angela Simoz, and we are here to talk about simulation today. And our guests today are Gavin Bridgman, Chief Technology Officer of Techsoft 3D. Hi, Gavin. Hi. And our guest today, our expert on simulation, is David Heine, who is co-founder and CEO of SimScale. Welcome, David. Hi, Angela. Thanks a lot. Yes, thanks for being here. So let's just jump right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself, David, and SimScale and how the company came to be. Sure. So I myself, I'm, a, um, I'm an engineer and mathematician by training. And a couple of years ago, basically during grad school, we, me and, uh, and my co-founders, there were five founders here at SimScale, all of them having a, a background in engineering or, uh, or software engineering. And we basically founded a, a small engineering service provider in parallel to to doing yeah in parallel to the grad uh, grad studies. And what we've done is basically we've been using cloud technology from the very beginning. So we ran in inside of EC2 and Amazon in the Amazon cloud. Our simulations provided um, services and our on our own sort of simulation software stack, partially open source codes um, provided services to mainly German um, companies. You know, classical sort of engineering services. And during that time, our customers back then asked, oh, that's an interesting approach you're taking. Um, you guys don't own any hardware and um, just use it, use, use you know, cloud resources whenever you need them. So it would be great um, if we, you know, could sort of get access to that or um, could leverage that as well. And this was sort of this where the idea sparked, and we said, okay, hey, what what could be an easy way to to deliver to our customers um, the tools we're using? And so we looked into, you know, how could we deliver that via the web, or should it be a remote client? And this was sort of the the early days of, of SimScale, I guess, and the, the first lines of code written, and that evolved into, um, yeah, what SimScale is today. Sort of, we discovered that the cloud, and I think we're going to talk about that later a little bit, that the cloud is much more than you know just the computing power in there. But if you right. if you think it through, and if you look at how the simulation market works today, how the customers are served today with simulation solutions, I think um, or we believe that there is a big potential in sort of um, that's when we when we started it. Nowadays, um, I mean, we're headquartered in Germany, roughly 50 people, so it's still early days. But um, yeah, so that's maybe a few words for how things started. Sure. And so it's interesting that you said you've been based in the cloud from the very beginning. And simulation has certainly been around for a long time. So from when you guys got started to even now, how how has simulation evolved over the past few years? You know, are people doing new things, different things? Or, um, you know, we talked about it's, it's more than just the computing power of the cloud. Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, how simulation itself has evolved. And yeah, Gavin, chime in as well, if you'd like. Sure. Like, I think one thing, David, I'd be interested in, I've um, used, used your application. I don't come from the background of simulation, but I found it very easy to get started with setting up a simulation um, in your system. Is, is that something that's standard in other applications, or is that something that you brought that was a focus on this initial release of your application? 
Um, <laughs> good question. So I think I think the accessibility of of simulation in general, not just our application, has has improved a lot over. I mean, simulation is you know a couple of decades old, right? And um, I think it came a long way since then. So people. Uh, people solve more complex problems, uh, multi multi-physics problems, um, larger problems. And I think this is an ever-increasing trend into that direction while the accessibility, the usage has, um, or, or how, how intuitive these applications are, has also improved a lot. But you're right, Gavin, that our focus or our, our belief is that still today, if you look at the number of engineers or the fraction of engineers that do regularly use simulation that use it to its full potential is marginal compared to the people or engineers being involved in technical product development, right? So we do think, and I mean, depending on which market research company you believe in, um, they believe it as well, that there's a, still a, a big gap um, when it comes to enabling engineers to use simulation. Um, and you're certainly right that we're, that this is what we're, what we're passionate about here at SimScale. Um, so truly removing these barriers that are still around that prevent engineers and designers to leverage um, simulation, uh, to remove those with the help of the cloud, right? By by porting a sim- an end-to-end simulation workflow to a SaaS model. Right. So you talked, you mentioned that something about that, you know, use of the cloud is not just about the computing power. Can you go into a little bit about what you meant by that? Sure. So, and I think I must say that that it's also been a, a learning journey for us at SimScale, right? When we started, for us, it was mainly um, I mean we were using these tools without uh, without the user interface, right? So everything was was Linux shells, and um, we've used these codes via you know simply via a terminal, and so it was just about okay, where can we get computing power on demand? And sort of for us, it was in the early days really just about the computing power, but over time we've we've understood more and more that that this is certainly you know an aspect that's important for for simulation because depending on what you're doing for you know simple linear um, elastic um, FEA simulations it's certainly not a big problem you can run that on your laptop but when you're looking at more complex nonlinear structural mechanics or also going into fl- fluid flow um, then you look at, a, at you're looking at significant computing uh, consumption and so sort of computing power is certainly an, a, a good thing but the 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 true change, or I think the disruptiveness of putting a simulation application into the cloud is that you have a completely centralized stack, right? Um, I mean, maybe quickly as a background at, at SimScale, so we're running an AWS, right? It's a it's a web application, um, so all users simply access the application via a web browser, and everything runs server based inside the cloud. So everything is persisted there, etc. So nothing is persisted on the client. And so this allows to change how simulation is being consumed by users. And that starts with obvious things such as collaboration, right? You can um, real-time collaborate on simulation settings. And that could be uh, setups. And that could be within an organization, um, you know, the simulation expert with maybe um, a design engineer that is not using simulation so often. That can be our support with our customers, um, and that could be, you know, a, a consulting engineer with his client. So being able to real-time collaborate on on engineering projects in simulation, in particular, is a big asset, right? And we've, I'm, I'm sure, you know, like the, in CAD, it's a big thing. There's PLM systems, and I mean, there's lots of lots of engineering applications that are nowadays being 
made more um, collaborative. So that, that's that's one thing. But then more, if you think it more through, it starts with things such as data science at the back end, right? Um, things as we we have the ability to to help the user in a different way because the analyses we can run in the back end to see, oh, why haven't been a, a particular set of simulations not being successful, right? And so we can jump in there and say, okay, and help the user and um, maybe identify if, if, if there's an insufficiency in our product and improve that, et cetera. So I think it's it's more than just the computing power. It's really the change from a you know desktop client where um, the the application, the software vendor, the the customer, the support team all operate in silos separated from each other, to a centralized stack, a collabor- collaborative system where everybody works on the same application in the, in the same sort of environment, and you can you you know you can turn or use this fact to make the application better for um, for everybody in there. Maybe one, you know, with the danger of talking too much to this answer, um, mm-hmm. maybe one very crisp example to showcase this, um, the power of such an approach is um, we've introduced a while ago a free plan on SimScale so that you can use it entirely for free with all features and with significant computing power for free. But in that community plan that comes free of charge, the limitation is that you're only allowed to create public projects. Um, so all of these projects are publicly accessible, and other SimScale users can um, can fork them and can reuse them for for their purposes. And um, in the first year after introducing this uh, new plan, the success rates of new users I think it was like three x or four x. So they they grew so heavily simply by the fact that users could leverage simulation projects of other users that are similar to what they want to do in a collaborative manner, right? Um, and these are things that you uh, that are simply not possible in a desktop environment, or possible with so much friction that um, that adoption is small. And I think that's just a few thoughts on, on on why we think the cloud is not just computing power; it's more. It's collaboration. It's data science. We could also talk about pricing, but you know, I mean, I think that's the potential. One one interesting part there that you're bringing up, David. There is this idea of seeing what your partners are doing with your software. From that perspective. Uh, that's and one, that's one of the fantastic things that you have with cloud software. You really have the ability to see what your users are using. From how that's impacted where you've grown the software, has that impacted you, for example, investing in certain solvers, or has it been around usability issues? And um, what kind of impact has the ability of seeing what your customers are doing with your software impacted your kind of product development plan? Ooh, um, that that question also has the the danger that I talk too much, given. Uh, but the okay. um, to, to trying to keep this crisp. I mean, the short answer is heavily, right? Um, and I think, I mean, again, the in the desktop realm, it's not that you wouldn't have any information about what customers are doing with your software, right? There's crash reports, there's um, cer- certain usage. Um, reports, et cetera. So it's not that you do not have, you know, anything in the desktop realm, but you do not have it in real time. You do not have it in, you know, in that depth and that width, um, you have it in the, in the cloud. And so it obviously heavily impacted what we're doing. And it starts with, um, yeah, observing how successful users are, right? And if they are not successful, why are they not successful? Does it require more training? Is the onboarding not good enough? Um, should we, like, where are people dropping out, right? Is there a certain... Um, 
piece in the workflow that's not discoverable, these sorts of things, right? And these classical product management questions. But then also, obviously, um, in, in, in the simulation space, it's uh, when you're looking at more complex simulations where it's really, you know, nonlinear problems where you have iterative solutions to, uh, where you have iterative solvers for, you can start looking at, okay, how do certain solvers converge as compared to others, right? Should we change default setups, um, sorts of things? So it's just the, the fact that you can um, that you can deep dive into these the things and, and use it to, to make the product better for the customer is, I think, something yeah, that, that has heavily impacted our product roadmap. I wanted to just jump back to a couple of points you were making before, because it sounds like you were really talking about when mentioning collaboration and then using the cloud for other things throughout the design process. So you're talking about doing simulation throughout the entire process and not just at the end. And is that something that has changed since uh, simulation has evolved and also touches on the topic of mindset, right? Does that require a change in mindset that you can do simulation as a larger team and now collaborate versus, you know, make your design and then simulate at the end to validate what you have, right? That you're now doing simulation more thoroughly. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, I think, um, and, and again, that's not just um, something, you know, or, or that's not a trend that, that we at SimScale own or we're the first ones to, to push into that direction. Rather, I think the simulation has been due to the hardware requirements, due to the the complexity of, of software applications in the early days. Um, and, you know, you know, that PhD that needs to sit in front of that software to make effective use of it using this high performance computing system that is, I don't know, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars investment requiring these huge amounts of computing time um, was just something, you know, you, you better think twice uh, before you run a simulation. So when, when would you use it when it's inevitable? And that's, you know, by the very end, when you try to run a, um, a final validation or in, I don't know, for products where, um, you know, in the automotive or aerospace sector, where um, the investment in the software stack has been huge compared to other verticals, right? So this is where where it came from, right? And now with the simulations becoming, um, from an economic perspective, but also from a know-how perspective, more accessible, I think people start using it early in the design process in other industry verticals where it was before not economically feasible in in settings where not just the analysis engineer or I don't know you know the the, the scientific computing engineer um, is using it but also the designer can make safe use of it and we still think there's still lots of work to do because from our perspective the situation today is still that there's a big trade-off still around today where you need to decide for, you know, either cost efficiency or high quality simulation results, right? It's still something, you know, where where this trade-off is there. And I think I think that has been around in the early days also in 3D CAD, but today I think this difference in 3D CAD is um, is different than, than it is in simulation. You get affordable, high, highly professional 3D CAD packages today for, um, for a good price that is affordable to any kind of engineering company. Um, but in simulation, that's still different. Um, and also from a know-how perspective to make effective use of that, it's still different. And so that's what we're uh, what we're trying to tackle, to get this know-how barrier down, to get this, this budget barrier down, um, to simply democratize it further. And so then that brings up the question of, because you mentioned aerospace and automotive, who, you know, as everybody assumes, has really large budgets to, to invest in something like this. But now that simulation is becoming democratized and more affordable, 
what other areas do you, or what other industries do you see picking up doing more and more simulation and, you know, what kinds of simulation are they doing? Um, so I think, I mean, it might be sort of a, also a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because we're at, at SimScale, we're focusing on, um, on sort of the, the mid mid market, I would say, right? So uh, small and medium sized companies. We do have also some large uh, larger companies, but it's rather you know the industries and the type of companies that are already further down the journey of accepting a cloud solution as an as an engineering uh, software in their stack. And uh, what was particularly interesting for us, coming from the mechanical engineering background, was that we've seen a lot of. So meanwhile, the architecture space, the AEC is um, one of our fastest growing verticals in uh, on SimScale. Um, and that was very yeah surprising because it was not sort of us sort of saying, hey, we could try that. It was really the other way around that um, on, on the SimScale community, we saw more and more interest in this. We saw more and more public users, also professional and, and, and paying users to run these types of uh, problems in the architecture space and sort of, yeah. And, and that's how we discovered that. And sort of we've been busy developing particularly features for that industry. So, so that was is, is one one thing by example, but obviously there's also, you know, more traditional verticals such as we see a lot of electronics cooling and SimScale as well. So thermal management of, mm-hmm. um, of enclosures, pumps, valves, um, also lots of UAVs um, and uh, yeah, these sorts of things. And obviously classical product, um, product design, we're looking at traditional FEA Right. Also there. So interesting about AEC is it are they simulating things like airflow through a building or the um, I guess the load for a frame or what are some of the things that they're they're looking at? Um, yeah, mainly what we're seeing on SimScale is mainly um, flow simulation, and that starts with city city level flow simulation. So where you're really looking at um, urban wind comfort. And then over to a single building where you're interested in, uh, you know, how can you ventilate your building without using a mechanical system internally? So how can you naturally ventilate the system? And then inside the building, um, looking at thermal comfort uh, analysis of large occupant spaces. It was really interesting to see that and and, and then down to more specific problems such as um, contaminant control inside parking garages, these sorts of things. And it, it also, I think it makes sense if you think it through because there's more and more, you know, energy efficiency requirements in, in building codes globally, right? In every country, these, these, the regulatory requirements around buildings get more restricted. And so the need for, for civil engineers or sustainability engineers to iterate fast on building designs that ultimately meet these, um, these requirements it, it makes sense, right? It's sort of a, a global trend. And I mean, the building industry is heating up. So I think from that perspective, it makes sense. But <laughs> it was certainly not that we were smart enough to see that um, up front. It was rather, <laughs> the, the, they, they came to us. Mm-hmm. And um, when you have conversations with partners and, and customers, when it comes to simulation, what things come up in conversation? What are some of the questions or concerns or maybe even challenges that, that customers are having that, that you address with them when it comes to simulation? One of the interesting parts that would be get David's perspective is certainly we heard, you know, in the US, there's obviously a big momentum towards the cloud. And, you know, people have really kind of embraced the cloud. While when we spoke to a lot of German-based companies, there was a lot more reticence 
irrelevant uh, m- moving towards the cloud and privacy issues. So it'd be that would be one interesting thing to hear David's perspective on. And um, certainly, you look at the cloud and and the you know people intuitively understand that simulation is a computationally intensive um, operation, and consequently, the cloud brings that infinite computing to the table. So people see that there's real value there. And so it'd be interesting to get David's perspective in, in Germany, which is a huge manufacturing industry and a huge need for simulation, whether the obvious uh, strength that the cloud came and um, meant that that audience was more open to using cloud technology than what we've experienced with other kind of German-based companies. Yeah, uh, I mean, you're certainly uh, right there. To me, it's oftentimes fascinating when you, I'm not sure, Gavin, if you have the same experience, but uh, sometimes when I talk to people outside of this industry, right, that are not in the engineering software space, uh, but in another software space, and you tell them, hey, I'm, we're working on a, on a SaaS solution for simulation, or I, I'm sure, you know, other other founders or, or software people that are building a SaaS solution for another type of engineering software have the same experience that they sort of answer, what, I mean, is that still a thing? Uh, I mean, hasn't that been already done, uh, SaaS? Because SaaS has happened in every software vertical, right? And it seems like engineering software seems to be one of the last um, verticals where it hasn't happened yet. And I think for a reason, right? It's it's very complex applications. It's graphics heavy. The customers that are, that are using it are demanding. Um, they have an existing workflow in place where they've built a lot of IP based on. And so I think it's uh, we're facing that challenge from the very beginning, right? We are convinced that the the future will be in the cloud, and that lots of engineering work will be done in the cloud for you know advantages and for reasons we've already talked about, um, because um, they are so so dominant these these advantages. But um, it's going to take time, right? And certain countries and certain industries will be faster than others. And I I agree with you, Gavin, that we're seeing that um, that the U.S. is um, our strongest market. And that that there, I think the mentality, and also I think um, I don't have any data, but um, I could imagine that also in other SaaS um, solutions, other software verticals where SaaS applications popped up, it might be also an, a rather an early adopter country compared to others. And I think we're we're I think we we embrace that challenge and know that we're only we cannot alone educate this entire market, right? It's many software vendors. It's um, it's the existing desktop software vendors that start offering cloud solutions. So I think over time, that level of acceptance will rise. And I think that's how we manage the situation, right? That it's that you need to um, simply, that you cannot change the fact that some verticals will never move to a public cloud application, right? Because of certain regulations. Some of them, it will take them years and others are ready today. And I think that particularly as a startup, um, that's a reality to face. And that's how we operate um, SimScale today. So, um, Dave, another thing that I, 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 as I mentioned, I played around with your application, and I, it's a, it's a beautiful application. I love to see, you know, and simulation is such a complicated subject with respect to all the information that you have to uh, display and you can play around with, and it's great to see 3D integrated into this very sophisticated web application. So, I'm assuming you're using WebGL technology. And I'd be interested in kind of talking a little about these different technologies that you use behind the application. And, um, you know, obviously there's WebGL, which allows you to get the web in the browser or 3D in the browser. There's also the GPU on the cloud technology 
Uh, that's now part of the Amazon stack. Could you talk a little bit about uh, those different 3D technologies uh, that you're using in SimScale? Sure. So basically, the most of the 3D interaction on SimScale is, I mean, let's start the other way around. You're right. We're running almost everything on um, on Amazon EC2, or not on EC2, but on, on, on AWS. And the good amount of 3D interaction on SimScale happens via WebGL, so client-side rendering on the GP of the client. And we're using that for parts of the workflow where significant interaction is um, is necessary and where the model size is, you know, manageable for the client. Um, and that's particularly the case for CAT models, as well as partially the meshes that are generated on SimScale. Um, because there, the, the sizes uh, or the data um, sizes are manageable still for the client. Um, opposed to that, once a simulation has been carried out, let's say a finite volume simulation has been carried out on, I don't know, uh, 20 million cells. Um, and you're now want to interactively, you know, slice and do cuts, make cut sections through these 20 million cells. And you want to visualize that cut section and then show the velocity field on that cut section. That's such a, that's such heavy data that needs to be processed that the, that we're using a um, server-side rendering mechanism for that. So that in that scenario, we're leveraging GPUs inside um, inside AWS where these operations are carried out on and we're essentially then streaming pixels down to the client, right? So it's sort of, there's um, additional challenges, but we're we're always trying to use, you know, best of both worlds and are um, using the, the 3D technology that suits the particularly step in the workflow the best. Right, right. Yeah, it looks, it looks fantastic, and it, it's really responsive. I, I My simulations were only at the scale that, that I could use the WebGL side of things, but you'd mentioned the, the, using the GPU on the cloud, which makes perfect sense, and it, it's fantastic that that's connected in. Um, another part, David, that, that's kind of interesting here was you were mentioning to me around that your release cycle is done, you know, you're releasing your software in a daily standpoint. With an application as sophisticated as yours, you know, with 3D uh, incorporated, how does that look from a kind of testing standpoint and, and, and what you do from it? You must obviously automate a, a bunch of tests, but it'd be interesting to kind of talk a little bit about how that works and how the, um, if, if releasing software in a daily standpoint has really changed, obviously an investment in automated testing, but also how you develop software. Yeah, I guess the <laughs> there's many disadvantages with with building a new simulation uh, sort of infrastructure and architecture from scratch. But one of the advantages is that you can also think freshly about certain aspects of how you want to develop that that piece of software, right? And so I think from the very beginning we've made sure that we're um, using modern best practices around um, modern cloud development. So I think while on on the one hand we're certainly, you know, having um, similarities to how other simulation software vendors are developing their software, right? Um, automatic validation, um, you know, like large benchmarks that can be carried out automatically, et cetera. But then we're also having lots of best practices that you can, or to the best of my knowledge, only find sort of in a, in a cloud um, environment, right? Where we're talking about continuous integration, continuous delivery, and so this is how we've built our entire stack, right? That automation is, you know, is is the the default for everything. 
And so if you really want to be able to deploy whenever you want, to release whenever you want, and yeah, in average on a daily basis, you need to make sure that um, that this is actually safe for the customer, right? And so um, on, a, on a constant basis, our automatic validation benchmarks, our automatic, uh, automated uh, tests are running, and they are ever increasing. And um, yeah, that's sort of, I think, the, the if you want to make or if you want to take advantage of the fact that you actually can work so closely with your customer and 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 fix things as fast as fast as possible, ship things, um, you know, when they are ready and not whenever your release cycle ends or or starts, um, then you need to build your development infrastructure and your development process around that as well. Um, I think I I think it would sort of be too much to to go too much into detail in that conversation here. But I think, um, yeah, the fundamental principles are um, are automation first, and ton, lots of automation built into our stack that ultimately allows us to ship on a daily basis. Yeah, where you can find many parallels also in other um, or in, in in other cloud applications and how they are developed. Right. And do you do you see much um, as a platform deploy on that has a, a you know a, a pretty sophisticated. Um, application in that includes 3D. Do you see many kind of challenges that you run in with different browsers running on different uh, operating systems or different hardware? Or are you finding that that's a fairly stable platform to build on top of? Yeah, I think that's also some of the, this, <laughs> I think it all comes with, with advantages and disadvantages, but I think we do not have many challenges desktop software vendors have, right? Where a SimScale is at its core, a Dockerized microservice infrastructure. So, you know, we we basically, we do not deal with, oh, we need to um, build something for a particularly particular target operating system or something. Cross-browser testing is also something that can also, can meanwhile be automated. I mean, there's also a bunch of uh, manual work we still do, but cross-browser testing is something where there's frameworks around, where there's other companies, even startups, offering um, solutions around that. So lots of these things can also be um, be automated. And I think, again, I think that's nothing you know we invented or, or something, but rather because so many sophisticated applications are meanwhile delivered via the web browser, many other companies face the same need, right? Or have the same need. And so naturally solutions pop up for that. Also tons of open source solutions, et cetera. So that's really something actually we um, we see as an advantage rather than a challenge at that point. Right. No, that's great. And I, I ask a lot of those questions, David. You know, a lot of our people who have a relationship with TechSoft from a technology provider perspective, they're, you know, they're from the traditional uh, desktop environment. And so I wanted to kind of just, hear you talk about some of these mm-hmm. things of deploying a, a modern kind of uh, web application and, and and how you know some of the challenges relate to that yeah I think to, just maybe to, to to give two crisp examples I think a challenge is certainly um, the fact that you need to have that there is no time to do any manual work if you want to ship you know something right so you need to rethink and and make sure that your entire stack supports such a deployment mechanism. And that's certainly, you know, um, that's a big investment. That's something um, that, that takes time. And, and um, that's certainly, you know, a, a challenge. I think one advantage we're, we're seeing is really that if, let's say, um, a certain, I don't know, if there's a bug fix or a new feature, right, a, a bug fix, we, you can even go down and see what exact simulation run was affected by a certain bug, right? And you can you can help your customer troubleshoot that 
bug fix in a much more effective manner and a much much more convenient manner for the customer, right? Where on the desktop, um, you would be sort of left alone with that, right? A feature, same thing. If a feature is ready and it's, it went through QA and it's actually release ready, we can ship it right there, right? And it, and it can right away um, serve a customer instead of, you know, waiting for another six months until you can ship it. So there's, you know, disadvantages, but also uh, advantages in that. Great. Thanks. Okay. Well, this has been a pretty awesome conversation. I think we got into some pretty good detail and um, hopefully answered some questions that our listeners have about simulation. I would just say if there's any you know final thoughts you have, David, about if customers have maybe done it or in our stock or maybe they haven't done simulation or thinking about it or um, you know what are what are some of the things that you tell people when they're looking at simulation capabilities and options and things like that, you know, how to get the most out of their investment. Angela, my answer might be biased now, right? <laughs> of course, but, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, with the, with the danger of... Buy some scale. <laughs> no, but I think, um, I mean, I think the the barriers of just trying it today are almost non-existing anymore, right? I mean, I'm I myself, I'm using many different uh, engineering software uh, solutions, completely browser-based, right? Um, while the vision of an entire engineering software stack in a browser hasn't completely happened yet, so some parts of the workflow are not there yet, um, most of it is already there, right? And I think there's um, it takes it takes 20 minutes to give something like this a spin, right? And what I oftentimes say is, don't take my word for it. You can just sign up, right? And most of these applications and SimScale as well, obviously, support a free trial um, or even in our case, a free community plan. So it's just something you know you don't have to to take anybody else's word for it, but just give it a spin yourself. I would agree, Gavin. Any last thoughts? Just just really appreciate. Uh... Some of the some of the insights there, David. It's I, it's really interesting to hear, and I I'd certainly encourage anybody to if you're just kind of interested in seeing a very modern uh, web application that just even wants to touch your toe in the water with some simulation software. It's, it's the SimScale works really really well. Thanks. Excellent. And with that, we'll we'll wrap it up. And uh, thank you, David, so much for your time today and your insight. I think it was really helpful, and and I. I'm pretty sure our listeners are going to feel the same way. Um, thank you also, Gavin, for your time. And for for those out there listening, thanks for spending some time with us today. And if you haven't hit subscribe yet, please hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And please share this podcast with your colleagues and other folks that you know uh, that might be interested in this topic or any any topic beyond 3D, if you will. And uh if you have a few minutes, please leave us a review on iTunes. It actually does help others find our podcast uh, uh, much more easily. And uh, believe it or not, it actually does help. We're not just asking for some kudos. We're, we're asking for your help and, and getting others to be able to find us. So thank you again all around. And until next time, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Beyond 3D podcast hosted by TechSoft3D. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft 3D, visit www.techsoft3d.com forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at info at techsoft3d.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D. Beyond 3D.